take two. <laughs> Hi there, uh, it's Annabelle. I'm welcoming you to Chat 10 Looks 3 uh, for the second time, actually. I just did this a minute ago into the microphone clips that we have clipped onto our lapels, but at that point, not attached to anything. That's so, uh, right. Lee. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm always, I, I just feel like the, the technical side of this is just so beyond me. Well, you disguise it very well. I know. Shall we explain what we're doing today? Yes. So let me just say, if I said this to you, what would you say? Butter, 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 I would say... Perhaps we should try this later. <laughs> um, okay, that was the theme song for Mad Men. And you're just a jingle nerd, aren't you? I think, I suspect. Yes. So this was your idea, that we should sit down and watch the series return of Mad Men. Yes, the final season. Which works for me because I've watched all the others. Um, but unlike you, I don't stroll around <laughs> singing, uh, the song. singing the sanitary napkin commercial that you've seen <laughs> conducted in the course of that I've series. been singing that song ever since you agreed that this is what we were going to do. Yeah, right. So we are about to sit down with some tea and we're going to watch the first episode of the final season of Mad Men. So we'll come back to you very shortly with our thoughts on that and many other things. Hi, we're back again, fresh from being immersed in the world of Don Draper. <laughs> so what did you think of it? Well, I ate two biscuits during the course of that. I'm just having an, another one now because they're so delicious. Um, and I also just felt like smoking and drinking the whole way through. It, I mean, let's, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but first of all, the substance abuse at work is just compelling, isn't it, throughout the whole of Mad Men. And like, I actually think that nothing um, would make me become a workplace smoker and drinker like that show. Oh, completely. I must say, sure. we're, the unfortunate thing for us is we're watching it at 10am, so we've not been able to have a drink. But it's a, it's a program, it always makes me want to have a drink. We should, I should tell people we're actually drinking out right. of. Anyone who's watched Mad Men, you'll know that Don Draper has some glasses in his office. They're little round, bulby things with a silver rim at the top. For my 40th birthday, two of my very, very good friends did some eBay sleuth work and they got me those glasses. They are so good. I know, they're beautiful, aren't we're they? We're drinking water out of them, tragically, but um, <laughs> I'm, we're only drinking by like curling our hands around John Draper style. and then like giving a quizzical look as we take a sip. It's, it works almost as well with um, Sydney tap water and as it works with, you know, smoke. scotch. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they're very good. But the, um, I must admit, I've not been... I have watched all of Mad Men, but I've not been a massive fan of it. Like, it's, I've liked it well enough that I've kept watching. Yeah. I actually like the look of it much more than I like the content Do you know of what? It. I'm sure that's a common thing. I mean, because sometimes I, I realise that a whole piece of plot action has gone past and I'm looking at the furniture in Don Draper's office or in, you know, his boss's office. And um, part of it is this kind of um, substance envy where I'm constantly thinking, I wish that my kitchen looked like that, or <laughs> I wish that my living room looked like that. And I often, it, and this is how I can tell that I am so non-mad men, like I'm just a dowdy suburban mum, because <laughs> there's constantly things where I'm looking at this beautiful room, I've missed a total plot twist, they've got divorced or something, and I'm thinking, shag pile. It's kind of bad, <laughs> isn't it? But not very practical. And like in that episode that we just watched, right, the reason I know, I know that I'm just not very glamorous is 
you know, in about the, oh, I don't know, what is it, the sixth or seventh woman he beds in the course of this episode. So, yeah, well, that, so, like, so like three <laughs> minutes in. Um, <laughs> he calls up this, like he gets home from this date with all these kind of glamorous women and he calls his message service postmark, oh, my God, a real person message service. That is the most erotic thing in this whole episode <laughs> for me. Just, like, imagine not having the sort of electronic one on your phone, but, like, at the end of the day just ringing in and there's this sort of, hello. <laughs> hello, Miss Crab. Yes, so-and-so called. Um, she'll be on this number until 9 p.m. Anyway, he just picks out one of the girls that's rung him and gets her to come over and she spills a glass of red all over the carpet, which is white, of course, and then his answer to this pressing, you know, domestic challenge is to throw the bed cover over it and then make frantic love to this woman on it, which is actually, coincidentally, exactly the same way I get red it's wine. It's how I get red wine out as well. <laughs> See, this thing with Don, I mean, look, so much to talk about. Firstly, just um, on the look of the show, mm. as you say, you know, being distracted, Pretty much every single episode, every single scene that Joan has been in, yeah. Christina Henricks, yeah. as soon as she walks in, I go, oh, uh, my yeah. God. Like, she is the most extraordinary-looking yeah. person. Every time I see her, I just – it's like, you know those cartoon characters where their eyes go, yeah. and then they sort of swirl Roger around? Rabbit style. Yeah. Honk, honk, honk. <laughs> I'm sure hardly any of the male viewers feel that way. <laughs> I'm sure. Fazzy. But I just always look at her and go, look at what she's wearing. Look at that hair and her makeup. And Oh, she's just an extraordinary creature. Um, she's a great character too. Mm. Like I really, I like the fact that she is this incredible Varga girl, but she has a really great character. Like, I mm. mean, one of the things about setting the show in that era, I guess, is that you automatically typecast all these women characters. But... If there's one thing that the show, I think, has done a reasonably good job of is making those characters not kind of cookie-cutter. Um, mm. And in some ways, you know, they're the more intriguing characters um, that are involved. And, and the guys, I guess, tend to be more one-dimensional. Yeah, they than, are a bit, actually. The do. There's a whole lot of the guys, you know, Kenny Cosgrove and Pete Campbell and... Pete um, Campbell. All those guys. They're the all... Worst man on television. Oh, he's he? shocking. Oh, just the most... Oh, awful. He actually stands out a little bit in the group, but the others are all pretty interchangeable. But you wouldn't confuse Peggy with Joan, with mm. Betty. Um, I miss – I really used to love the dynamic between Don and Betty, and I thought Betty was an awesome character too, mm. and I miss the fact that she's not in it so much um, of recent yeah, times. Yeah, I know. Do you know but, the worst thing about these dual microphones? I can't eat discreetly anymore. <laughs> yeah, when true. Just, I'm just going <laughs> – <laughs> Like Sorry. Clive James interviewing Raymond Clancy. No, no. <laughs> Um, I reckon over the, I don't know what season we're up to now, seven or whatever it is, I think that actually as a viewer, I have had a relationship with Don Draper that would be like if I were actually having a relationship with Don Draper. So when we started out in episode one. so much fun. He's so good at relationships. Isn't he, that guy? Well, when I started off in episode one, I thought, oh my God, that man is the most handsome man I've ever seen. He's so sexy and attractive and blah, blah, blah. And then over the course of the season, I've now arrived at a point where I am so sick of Don of Draper's rap. shit. <laughs> And so even when he, like, pulls the quilt off the bed and then sticks it on the red wine and yeah, ravishes this woman. I've seen it before. I'm just like, oh, you're joking, Don. So it's not enough now that the carpet's wrecked. Now you've got to wreck the quilt as well. Selfish, And if your wives, all of whom you've left in circumstances do that do not reflect well on you. I am so sick of his antics. Yeah. Well, um, he, 
So yeah. Isn't that interesting? Because he, he uh, you know, of course, in every episode, he's constantly meeting new girl flesh that's prepared to throw. And you feel like warning him. He's like, listen, handsome guy, and I know the way he curls his hand around that <laughs> glass and gives you a penetrating look as he kind of takes a swig of his... The man has a drinking problem. See, I'm at, I'm at the point now where I actually barely find John Hamm good looking anymore. I've right. become so annoyed at the Don Draper character that I look at John Hamm and now what I see is sort of a bit of a hound dog sort of face. <laughs> Did you ever see that fantastic episode of 30 Rock where, well, there's a couple of, in the series, I can't remember which series it is, everything in 30 Rock is brilliant. Mm. Um, so I could not love any series more than that one. But... There's this fabulous series of episodes where um, Liz Lemon, played by Tina Fey, is dating John Hamm. Yeah, I've seen that, <laughs> and, yeah. And he's so pointlessly handsome <laughs> that it becomes this plot feature. And she, Liz Lemon, is so annoyed by him because she says that he's constantly getting an easy run in life because people do things for him because he's so handsome. Yep. So she gets, um, over the course of her short relationship with him, intensely annoyed just because he never has to you know do his own dry cleaning or open the door or do you know he he, he makes it he arrives late at the airport and it's all oh don't you worry sir we'll get you on that plane and she's going no take him off i think that there is no doubt in my mind that if you've gone through life being extraordinarily uh-huh. good looking like yeah. say someone like john ham or rob lowe or brad pitt mm. like just people who are extraordinary looking people there's no doubt in my mind that you would get better service at everything Mm. you did and that when you walk into a room you would get a level of attention and sort of I don't know you can bend social rules right that's exactly right it's okay if I sneak in late to this play right yeah but unlike women I think where there'd be the bit of the double-edged sword that you see with Joan in this program where you know you walk in and you look like Angelina Jolie and so men are immediately trying to hit on you and you can never have a second's piece um it's a different thing for men because I don't really see, like, what's the downside to looking like John Hamm? Becoming a messed up fraud, I suppose. I mean, I don't know. Um, oh, look, here we're sort of gaily switching from real life into fiction, but, I mean, part of Don Draper's terrible failure to be able to stick at anything is partly because he's got this incredible um, shallow appeal. Mm. And if there is a fear that he has that becomes really apparent over the long grinding hours that we've spent with him watching him do terrible things it's he does he has this terrible horror of depth you know Mm. um and his relationships with women fail because he's inaccessible to them in some way and yet he's haunted by all these sort of half submerged memories of his past which he he turns his back on, although they call to him constantly. You know, it's mm. just an inability to engage with the deep truths about his life. Mm. Yeah, there you go. I've totally psychoanalyzed the poor bastard. <laughs> See, I think as well, when because of this idea that when you're Don Draper, you know, you just get everything you want. Yeah. Um, you also know. because he's a creative genius, right? That's, yeah. Um, so I think it means that character traits that are important to develop, like kindness and generosity and things that make you actually a fully rounded human and commitment and discipline and all the rest of it. You don't need to develop if you are Mm -hmm. constantly given everything you ever want because your charm comes from what you look like, not from your actual personality. So the whole notion of reciprocity, which I suspect is really at the heart of 
human kindness and respect, you know, this sort of atavistic fear that, you know, unless you do unto others as you would like to have done unto yourself, you might get, find yourself in a terrible spot. But when the reciprocity arrangement is kind of bizarrely thrown out of whack by the fact that because you look like some sort of earthbound god or goddess that people are constantly rushing around to do things for you, then you lose the knack of of returning the favour, you know. But imagine the terror of um, l- then losing your looks. <gasps> that's all you've got. Like, see, I think for for me, that's not something that I have ever been bothered by because right. I've never had them. <laughs> so it doesn't... Oh, I think you're lovely looking. <laughs> what are you talking about? So I've never been bothered at all really by ageing beyond just a garden variety oh you know I've got these lines on my face now but I'm not I don't really think very much about it it's not like you're spending time existentially no I'm not scared about it I'm not Mm. fearing what does it mean um whereas I I imagine if you go through life looking extraordinarily amazing and that is your primary currency Mm. that would be terrible to start losing your looks um the, I also want to know... Like, the worst have, thing, though, is that John Hamm is getting more handsome as he gets older. That's, that's the, really unfair. It's like George Clooney. You think, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's... Um, as I say, though, for whatever reason, because the characters come to annoy me so much, I'm actually <laughs> finding John Hamm less good-looking. It's mm, like in real mm. life, like, you know, when you're attracted to somebody and on first meeting you might not think that they're very good-looking and then over time you come mm. to like them and then all of a sudden you think, oh, she's actually very beautiful mm. or he's actually really handsome. Um, and the reverse happens as well. You can meet someone and think yeah. that they're good-looking and then over time you think, oh, I used to think they were good-looking. Kind of, yeah, it's quite interesting how that plays. I want to know, like, Don in either the previous season or the one before, was starting to sort of, things were starting to unravel for Don in a pretty major way. Um, I just want to know, you know, I've been watching those opening titles now for six or seven seasons, and when is Don going to hit the bottom? (laughs) You know, he's falling, and he's not yet splattered at the bottom. Like, when, how's it going to all end for Don? I've got no idea, but I'm sure that, I'm sure he has to be collected by his past in some ways. I mean, it's sort of, it feels like such a long series to me. It's been mm. going for years and years and there are all of these bits that don't make sense. And it's, I think, partly because you have this incredibly consistent style of the show, which is such a big part of its meaning. You know, you can forgive it for aberrant plot twists or lack of plot development for sometimes shows and yeah, shows on absolutely. end. You know, you and of, character development. Right, none. it's like going to a really great furniture shop and at the end of it going, well, nothing really happened while I was working, walking through there. But, you know, mm. so it's funny. It's, it's, it, it's such a pungent style that carries this show along that sometimes you can um, look back and realise that nothing's happened for a bit. And I actually don't mind that. It's It's... A different... It's cartoony a bit. Yeah, it is. Don's a bit of a cartoon. Even the way he dresses, he looks like a cartoon character. Yeah, and even the way he he enters and leaves rooms, sometimes it looks like a frame of a cartoon, you know. Mm. Or, because there are all these long shots of him kind of staring handsomely into the middle distance or, Mm. you know, taking a long sip of his... or having a cigarette, you know. And sometimes they just look like photographs. So it is like it is like reading a cartoon book in some mm. way. The um, just back on the opening titles, they're some of my favourite opening titles ever. Oh, I think so they are good. really, really well done. And I love that iconic shot 
that is the final shot where it's just the silhouette of him in the black and white with yeah. the cigarette. And there's only about maybe five different shapes in that yeah. that sort of yeah. fit together. Um, it's really beautiful. Reminds me, um, did re you? Oh, sorry, you go. It really suits the the series as well. I mean, I think that's why it sticks so much. Yeah, and it's. I was just going to talk about. Did you ever watch Dexter? No, never. So it had probably that's my the favorite serial killer one. Also, yeah, my yeah. favorite opening titles of all time. And I really? think yeah. And okay. I think the key for good opening titles is um, exactly what you just said, which is the marriage of you know, this sort of suggestive nature of the opening titles that suggest what the theme of yeah. the program is. So in Mad Men, I mean, the look of it is so great and it fits with the show, but also this idea that he's basically falling through space is, you know, also works really well. But Dexter's, so the premise of Dexter is Dexter is a serial killer who works mm. in the Miami Police Department. Right. And so he's basically hiding in plain sight. Mm. The opening titles of Dexter are him getting out of bed in the morning and going through his morning routine. So he squeezes an orange and he fries some bacon and he has he shaves. Notice three people. <laughs> he shaves. So it's all just boring, everyday, mundane activities. But it's shot in such a way that it looks ridiculously menacing. Oh. And so <laughs> when he fries the bacon, it looks like skin being cooked. And when oh. he squeezes the orange, it looks really menacing and the juice sort of flies off. And there's a bit where he has a knife and he slices through something. And um, it's extraordinarily clever How and it cool. fits so brilliantly with the actual theme of the show. Oh, he does his shoelaces and he's pulling them and it looks like he's you know, winding a strangler's thing around his fingers. Wow. And, oh, it's so, Someone must so have good. had so much fun. It's really, that. really clever. But I reckon, even though I reckon they're the best ones of all time, I was also thinking about, do you remember the those iconic closing titles of Get Smart? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, of course. With the great music. Da, yeah. ba, da, 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 da. And then just the doors all yeah, closing. Yeah, yeah. That was a great one. That was so great. Mm. I, the best, this is um, from a film, but... Um, the greatest or my favourite opening titles um, were from a Robert Altman film called Shortcuts, which oh, yeah. actually was a, um, a beautiful movie about um, a collection of short stories basically from Raymond Carver is what created the content for that film. And I just, I love Raymond Carver's short stories and I love John Cheever's short stories mm. as well. And they are all set in kind of, small town America and my favourite bits of Mad Men, particularly when they sort of move to the country, is that feel that you get of that kind of 1950s mm. America, which I love about John Cheever's work. But anyway, so their shortcuts is, um, it's kind of like an aerial fly through where the, um, the titles just sort of come together out of vapour. Mm -hmm. It's like a um, helicopter flying around. Oh, anyway, wow. it's, I'm not describing it very well, but um, they're really beautiful and evocative kind of credits and they reflect the film really well because the film is about all of these sort of random people coming together right. and then dispersing again. Yeah. So it's that thing of, that it captures the mood of the film. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. Well. I was thinking about, when I was thinking about Get Smart, I was thinking of some of the great theme songs of television in the 60s. Oh, yeah. Whatever happened to the expositionary theme song that basically, here's a story, a lovely lady, and it explains the entire premise or, you know, sit right back and you'll hear a tale. Mm. And so the whole setup is the song. Like, that just never happens now. I suppose that is, um, you've caught me mid 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 Oh my God, seriously. 
<laughs> that man just had sex with too many women. I'm sorry. Enough. I think I mean, you're right. We should have kept the tally. It was about six or seven. Oh, I know. It's I mean, if, if there's to be any... sexy episode, this one. If there's to be any justice, he, the final season, season finale needs to end with Don in bed with some virulent strain of syphilis. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I imagine that. He's just gone mad. <laughs> I get some sort of uber clap. Yeah, that would be a, a, a sweet revenge on that one. Um, but I think that maybe that kind of great little jingle where you explain the thesis of the whole show, I think it's just so yesterday. It's never going to happen again because viewers now are much more informed. I know what this show's about because mm. I've um, read about it on this blog or I've had it referred to you know, my friends, I, I'm not even watching it in a normal time slot. I've programmed it, I've scheduled it, I've bought it off iTunes, I've done whatever. I already know what this show's about, so you don't need that anymore. Mm. It's a bit sad, though, because it is... I mean, I remember as a child watching shows that were um, prefaced by these kind of really evocative jingles. It's yeah. part of the experience, right? And I think um, it's the pleasure of listening to 30 Seconds of your favourite show's jingle. It sort of prolongs the experience yeah. and enhances the anticipation of watching the show. But, of course, nowadays if you're watching it on, you know, you've recorded or whatever, you just fast-forward straight through the credits, right? Yeah. Although I, I must admit, I mean, I was a massive, massive fan of The Sopranos and I oh, must admit, yeah. mm. um, bang, bang, mm. da, da, da. like I would get a sort of actual feeling when mm. that music started um, of sort of, Excitement, like as you say, that, that there's a there is a feeling to do with the theme music mm. of something that does well, the build West a Wing music still, yeah. Because, um, when I first watched the West Wing, it was when we lived in Canberra and we had this little West Wing viewing group that were kind of staffers and mates um, of ours who would come around on Tuesday nights, um, and whoever was hosting would cook, we'd all eat, then we would watch the video of last week's West Wing, oh. just to get us in the mood, and then we'd watch the new episode. Well, so you watched them all twice. Yeah. <laughs> and so to me that music meant seeing these people that I really enjoyed the company of. We'd talk about politics because we all worked in politics. Then we would have dinner and we would watch last week's and then we'd watch the new one. And mm. it was just this incredible kind of I ceremony. I wonder if also the theme song, I wonder if that, started because um, it was a way of, if you were in the kitchen or something and mm, your show started, mm. it was a way of differentiating the show from the ads. And so if you heard the theme music to Gilligan's Island, mm. you knew it's time to now sit down and watch mm. Gilligan's Island. Now that, you know, I think over the next probably 10 years, we're going to move away from scheduled television and so we're not going to have right. that thing where you have ads breaking up programs. You'll just be choosing, I choose now mm. to watch Dexter or Mad Men or whatever. I wonder if the theme song will become less important because you don't need that audio cue that yeah. your show is. I guess so. It's starting. kind of pointless, I suppose, if you're particularly if you're binge watching. Mm. Yeah, well, that's right. In the, in the end of the Sopranos, I just used to click, you know, mm. to go to the first frame of the actual show because I'd be watching, you know. Pretty tragic for people who are credit specialists. I know it's a very unique skill. I mean, I suppose it translates into advertising, but even advertising, like you think of all the iconic ads when we were growing up mm. and it's incredible how they stick in your head you know like mm. I can sing many ads from when I was a child um I couldn't tell you a, I mean I don't watch much tv now like on free-to-air television but I couldn't probably sing you a single ad I don't even yeah. know if ad jingles get made now I actually googled um 
Coke jingles the other day because what was I? Oh, there was that terrible scandal with Coca Cola. <laughs> and I was just thinking because I was looking for a shallow gag. I was looking for Coke slogans um, from you know the last couple of decades, right. and I did notice that they. I could remember some of the jingles sort of from the eighties that were all kind of singing type ones. Right. And yet, I just can't think of any now that are musical or. Um, I mean, I can still remember how to say really fast to all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, oh. pickles, onions, on sesame seed bun. McDonald's. What a genius that was because it was about making people actually commit something to memory. And what was it you could go if you went in there to McDonald's you could, and you could say that really fast that give you, you know, right. half-price fries or something. So I was thinking McDonald's must have had the stickiest ones in the world um, because, like I was thinking this morning, Big Mac, fillet of fish, quarter pounder French fries, Coca-Cola thick, shake McFeast, Sunday's apple pies. Like, wow. I know. From 30 years ago. And that's just embedded into my skull. Yeah, but how often do you go to Macca's? Hardly ever. Right. Uh, <laughs> like only on a road trip, maybe once a year. But, but at least when I go, I know the full menu. Yeah. Although that's probably not their menu now. <laughs> yeah, it's all McCafe m- salads or... Or even know. things like... McQuinoa. Um... Delish. <laughs> <laughs> Cheer shake. Oh, um, I was thinking even. Do you the remember, magic's over. Do you remember? Oh, Mr. Sheen. Oh, yep. Mr. Sheen. Is there anything at all you cannot clean? Now, I still, when I go to the supermarket and look for a cleaning product, I gravitate to Mr. Sheen really? because I don't know any other cleaning products. Remember how they did that whole series? Someone did a, a bit of a um, gag putting John Howard into the Mr. Sheen ads because it's just a little bit like Mr. Sheen. He did a little bit. Now, um, have you been reading or watching anything else this week? Oh, God. So, um, a little bit, yeah. I um, I just finished watching Episodes. Oh, yeah. um, Which is, have we talked about that before? You mentioned that you were watching it, yeah. Yeah, anyway, um, I won't go on about that. Um, It's good, fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I um, read this week and got, you know, typically engaged in and then kind of traumatised by um, Ian McEwan's latest novel, which is called The Children Act. Mm -hmm. And it's about a a judge, a woman who is, um, you know, as every single McEwan character is, in terrible trouble in her marriage. Right. (laughs) Yeah, after a while you start looking at Ian McEwan thinking, what's going on, man? Is there something you want to talk about? Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's just the most memorable and just absorbing and fibrous, knotty plots that he writes about are always the simplest. It's just a man and a woman in terrible trouble. You yeah. Know? And you start to think, oh, my God, you know. What's he mining to get this material? This? Yeah, <laughs> I know. But anyway, um, but actually the most interesting aspect of, of this woman's story is that she's a judge and um, as she's sort of going through these difficulties with her husband, she kind of turns to work to shut it all out and she has this case where um, the hos- a hospital is taking legal action against the parents of a 17-year-old boy who has leukaemia. He's refusing treatment on the grounds that treatment um, would involve a blood transfusion and the family is a Jehovah's Witness family. So, And it turns into, of course, this sort of McEwen-esque tale of complicated intrigue. The judge develops this relationship with the boy. Anyway, I won't give away the ending. Um, it's kind of gripping, upsetting, beautifully written. Um, and um, the weirdest thing, I, you know, I, 
these novels that he writes are always very um, disturbing, you know, that's his specialty. And the worst thing this week was, of course, I just finished it when that case happened, when the woman died um, uh, who was pregnant mm. with, her, with a seven-month-old fetus, had leukaemia um, diagnosed in her and... Apparently, the figures for survival when um, women who are pregnant are diagnosed with leukemia is really good, mm. but you really do need a blood transfusion. And she mm. was Jehovah's Witness, refused treatment, and because of this sort of complicated ethics involved, like her decision um, effectively condemned her baby um, to death as well because they couldn't do um, a conventional caesarean without. Um, supplying blood to her so and they couldn't do that in the knowledge that it would kill her even though she's going to die anyway oh my god most well and maternal death in australia um is extremely rare it's Mm. about i I googled it actually last year i think it's about one in a hundred or something no it's more than that it was very very rare um and so i've wondered the impact on the medical staff involved in that must have been profound because you she could have easily been saved yep and so to watch that happen would have been devastating. Well, in the in the sorry, you're just oh, sorry, I'm knocking the mic. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sort of cardigan versus microphone injury <laughs> happens in my glamorously dressed line of work. Um, so um, in the book, in the Children Act, um, the family. Um, spoiler alert! Ah, oh, I'm not spoiling read it. the whole. That's yeah, cool. yeah. Um, I didn't know you'd read it. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> I, I think I t- I've talked about it in a podcast, I think. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, Are you yeah. joking? Um, we talked it, yeah, because we talked about it because I said I thought it was a really masterful piece of work and you said, yeah, his technical, uh, you know, mastery is so, so amazing. Brilliant. And it's then you were talking about that book that you said I shouldn't read while I've got young children, oh, The Child in Time. Right, the Child in Time. Yeah. So you've just been sitting here nodding politely while I quit. No, but you hadn't I, read it when I talked I about it. While I no. <laughs> everything that you probably said about I was, this book. I was thinking of the listeners. <laughs> you no, I wanted so to hear. Polite. I wanted to hear what you thought about it. All right. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> the family's reaction when she makes the decision early in the book to um, make a ruling for the hospital and say, yeah, do you know what? This kid's 17 He's at the beginning of life. He doesn't understand or hasn't had an, an opportunity to think deeply enough about this religious decision that he's making. Um, he, he's not old enough to make that decision and um, have it have such, make, have such permanent consequences. And then there's this really weird response where she hands down the decision and then later she gets a letter from the child just saying, and it's like his world has fallen apart because he says, oh, my God, my parents just howled with joy when you made that decision. You know, they had been absolutely urging him to reject, reject treatment and they had been um, um, very stoically supporting that course of action. But when an external force um, imposed a decision... They were somehow happy. relieved of the responsibility. They weren't culpable of um, turning up their, um, you know, um, thumbing their noses at their faith. But someone else did, so it was fine, and they mm. were overjoyed about it. Such a, oh, I know it's a work of fiction, but I couldn't stop thinking about it all this week. It about was great. Culpability and um, responsibility for those decisions. The 
that story um, this week about that woman um, I found very upsetting and actually made me quite angry. Um, but just another story this week that so rare that you see a new story and you just feel complete elation. Oh that boy God, getting boy, found. I know. And the oh, vision, it was just. My God. And I, because those stories almost never, ever have a happy ending. And I'd woken up in the morning and saw they're scaling back the search and I thought, mm, yeah. I just felt blah. Because there was another autistic little boy who went missing in WA earlier this year whose yeah. body was found. Um, and and then they found him. Oh, my God. I was true. I was elated. It was, it was the just... most incredible moment. And how amazing that it actually came with this incredible footage as well. Like you could <sighs> see know. this moment. And, you know, it, it had every terrible attribute, that story. You know, that idea. I couldn't stop thinking about it that whole weekend. But it's a yeah, total Easter resurrection type story, right, mm. as well. Um, but just that horrible kind of convergence of attributes that says this is a boy who is lost he's lost he's wandered off so he's a, he's only as far as his legs could have taken him mm. and yet looking for him is hard because he doesn't answer you know, I know and I he, know. he will, will not respond to being called oh god it's just it's the worst biblically heartbreaking yeah lost but also sort of internally lost yeah. because he's in his own little um autistic world um the now we're out of time as we always are oh, so the only other thing i was going to talk about was um and i don't know if you managed to i got a heap of cooking done over easter which was fantastic yeah. so so these biscuits that i just served you so i actually good. made only yesterday out of your boyfriend's book yeah <laughs> so they're kind of cakey and spicy and kind of pillowy like they look yeah. like big like handsome domed sort of cookies but they're sort of Almost cakey inside. Yeah, they're called spice cookies. Um, <laughs> and they're glazed with a lovely little thin icing glaze. Yum. Your boyfriend is very bossy in I his know. cookbooks. He's very prescriptive, um, isn't he? So that, you were told, 50 grams, 50 gram balls, roll them into a perfect ball and then put them in the fridge and then in the oven. And then when they're in the oven, the base flattens, yeah, but the yeah. top sort of I really stays. really paid off, tiny. though. They were a handsome yeah. structure. Um, we should post one, actually, a picture, because they're a handsome I will. I'll take biscuit, a picture yeah. in a sec. Um, they are called biscuit spice cookies. He called spice cookies is what they're called, but they are quite cakey. Um, you know, when I was I'm living in the UK, and I'm, I know I'm romping all over your cook talk here, but there was this amazing legal case, which was a tax case about Jaffa cakes. Mm. You know those mm. little like so they're kind of um, soft biscuity um, little rounds that have a kind of an orange jelly mm. and then all covered with chocolate. They're delicious mm. um, and very popular in the UK. Anyway, um, because Ta because cakes and biscuits have a different um, tax treatment. There was this oh, enormous yeah, tax right. case about whether a Jaffa cake was in fact a cake or yeah, a Yeah, right, like GST, where is it a pizza or is it a pocket? Or, well, exactly, yeah. yeah. And um, right. anyway, and eventually the, the, the court ruled, the most incredibly beautiful and profound ruling, it was that what is the difference between a cake and a biscuit? Well, it's this, a biscuit when it's stale, becomes softer. Whereas a cake, when it's stale, <laughs> becomes harder. That's actually Isn't quite that brilliant. Great? Yeah. Yeah. Quite brilliant. I can't actually remember what, what, what a Jaffa cake ended up being. I would guess. But they, but they didn't, they, they baked a giant one and then left it in the courtroom in order to test. I mean, it was the most brilliant mm. kind of rolled dial style court case. I feel like I almost need to leave one of those little spice cookies aside to see <laughs> which way they go. Well, not around me. Um, Never last. 
So I also cooked out of that same book, Out of Jerusalem, um, there's a casserole, which is chicken with caramelised onion and cardamom rice. Oh, that wow. turned out an absolute treat. It's sort of got a lot of stuff like cardamom pods mm. and whole cloves, cinnamon sticks. You sort of sear the chicken and then you shove in some rice. I pre-caramelised the onion and then you just pour water over it, cover it, leave it. Delicious. Wow. Absolutely delicious and quite easy. Well, I did lots of cooking out of, weirdly enough, um, my own forthcoming cookbook, but uh. like, because of, we've written it together, me and Wendy, mm. um, there's heaps of her, she lives in um, the UK now, and there's heaps of her everyday recipes that she's put in there. And because she's lived in the UK or abroad now for four years, I'm actually out of touch with some of her everyday recipes. Like oh. I used to be at her house all the time, so I knew all of her go-tos. Um, so I've been cooking recipes of hers that she's put into the cookbook that she cooks all the time, but I haven't tried before. Oh, so okay. it's really... It's, so like what sort of... Well, I, I'm, uh, she's got this beautiful recipe for Herrera, which is like Moroccan kind of chickpea soup. And it's exactly the kind of soup that you want to have when you're a bit off colour or it's a cold day or something. The weather's right. getting colder here. So it's just sort of... It's pretty simple. It's just like cumin and cinnamon and garlic and um, fennel and carrot and chickpeas mm. and kind of tomato, crushed tomatoes. And then you put a whole heap of herbs and lemon in at last minute. So you get this yeah. incredibly sort of spicy, rich, but not like hot spicy, just right. sort of deep spicy. Right. And it's just so comforting anyway. And my children really love it. And there's something really nice about it. Um, cooking it and feeding it to my kids. It sounds it's very homey and comfortable. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that I did was, which you got to eat, were um, a chocolate cake, cho a chocolate Chinese five spice cake. Yeah, that was spectacular. That mm. was out of Belinda Jeffrey Mix and Bake, which is a book I use a lot as well. It was your standard, well, there's no standard chocolate cake recipe. There's about eight billion of mm. them, but it was a flourless mm. chocolate cake. So, you know, a lot of eggs, um, butter, chocolate, blah. Um, but then the secret ingredient was five teaspoons of Chinese five spice powder. That just sounds like way too much, right? Like I know, I mean, it sounds like a lot. Yeah. But actually it was perfectly balanced. It was delicious. And it, it just was a really striking cake. Really striking. And then you just got the sort of zing of the spot, five spice basically when you swallowed the chocolate. tasted like just a really lovely chocolate cake and then you sort of got that little... Into the zing on a minute. Um, the other thing I did was I did that cauliflower and hazelnut salad again that I've talked about yeah. before. But there was a salad in the Women's Weekly which was really yummy too, which was roasted walnuts, sort of given a whiz in the food processor mm -hmm. and chopped up, pomegranate seeds, and then diced tomato, Lebanese cucumber, Spanish onion, and red capsicum, mm. um, and then just a bit of olive oil, lemon juice, and pomegranate molasses. Beautiful sort of uh, Middle Eastern. Pomegranate molasses in a, in a salad dressing is. Um, one of the most delicious things, particularly with walnuts. I don't know, it goes very yeah, well. Yeah, I know, delicious. So, yeah, so it was I've been fun. doing a thousand and one things with quinces because um, when we were taking photographs for the cookbook, we somehow ended up with about 20 quinces because <laughs> the ones that we could find weren't all that beautiful. You know, right. they were actually the ones that have been in the shops recently are quite smooth skinned. Yeah. Not right. that kind of furry, furry kind of thing that right. looks so beautiful in photographs but is harder to work with. Right. Anyway, you know how like, any quince recipe in, invariably involves you severing one of your fingers because you've got to <laughs> yeah, I've like never cooked with them. peel it and yeah. core it. Like they are literally hardcore right. fruits, right? They've got to be cooked for a really long time to be workable. But um, 
there's a recipe in Stephanie Alexander's food bible. Like she's really good on quinces because she's got all of these different interesting things to do with them. But she's also got a really lazy method of um, making quinces, which is kind of pot roasting them really, right. where you don't peel them. Right. You scrub them, you leave the cores in, and you just basically immerse them in sugar syrup in a pot. Right. And then you just cook them for five hours over a low heat. Right. You know, turning regularly. And what you end up with is this beautiful deep red syrup and these mm. whole quinces that the skin then slips off, off and you can just right. cut them up into kind of bits that can then be – I mean, I made a um, quince and apple – crumble cake kind of thing mm, um, and then um, I made jelly out of the syrup because mm. it's this sort of lovely perfume Yum. syrup and the other thing about cooking quinces like that is it's like having one of those long burn candles in your house I mean quinces cooking have this incredibly floral right. beautiful smell and right. um, it's perfumes the whole house anyway very nice. Yeah, good um, now we've got a bit long. Sorry, everybody. Know, yeah. Sorry. Um, anyway, uh, we shall talk to you again soon. Yes. Well, that's it, isn't it? It right. is. Right. Okay. See you later. See ya. <laughs>